Hey, Jamie, how are you? I'm doing all right, Mike. How are you doing? <laughs> all right. We're here <laughs> to do Mr. Robot, episode four, season two, episode four. Uh, Jamie, how do you, what do you think so far of this series? Is it going the right direction? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's even a question we can ask about Mr. Robot. It is such a crazy mind trip. Um, I guess that's the best answer I can give you. I think these ep- these are two long episodes, and the first the first week was two episodes jammed together, part one and part two. These are long episodes. Uh, I think too long, Jamie. Yeah, how long are they? Well, the first two were like over an hour, like an hour yeah. and ten minutes. Yeah. This one was too long. I mean, we and also the stressful thing is we know things about Elliot before he does. Yeah. So watching him learn the things that we already know can get somewhat tedious, yeah. I think. And and also this is the two on things on television. This this thing this show has two things that are very hard. It's a computer show. For one, so that unless you know about like computer and coding and hacking and how you know, if you, just think if you don't know anything about computers, how hard this show must be. Yeah. And it's also the other half of it. It's a show about like psychosis, which is another super complicated thing. Yeah. And they're both it's, put together. Yes, that's it. I, it is. It's rough. So it's, it's rough. work. To, I mean, I really love this show. It's a, but it's a lot of work to keep up with it. Yeah, I mean, you've got to pay attention and you've got to be willing to do some research and you got to do some reading and, you know, and everything else in order to gather a full understanding of what's happening. And even then, you know, it's just, it, you know, you get curveballs. Well, you know, most people don't do that. Most people don't listen to podcasts and they don't look up kernel panic and they don't look up what these codes mean in these file extensions. And, right. and they just watch it. You know, they watch it for the superficial maybe not superficial but the, whatever depth they can get out of it to right. enjoy it but most people don't explore and dive in deep like people doing podcasts yeah which is which is cool like i i think that's fine you and i talked about this last season i think that this show can be enjoyed uh, from a number of different depths you know i think that you can watch it superficially and enjoy it just fine yeah, that's kind of my point. It's interesting to me is I don't see how people enjoy it superficially, but I guess they do. Yeah, I mean, you know, you skim over the whole thing and you think, oh, gosh, well, you know, what's going on with, uh, you know, Tyrell's wife? There's no technology you need to understand with her. You just need to know, like, she's up to something. So what's going to happen? You know, will Mr. Robot make an appearance? No, he didn't appear this episode. Or, you know, whatever the thing is, you know? I don't know. I think you could. Hmm. I mean, it, wouldn't be as, it wouldn't be as good it wouldn't be as enjoyable but you know you and I are coming from a different perspective yeah I guess I mean it must it doesn't get that huge of a following either it's only about a million people and then more later uh, as people watch it people watch it the way freaking Esmail portrays it he is pretty much saying here's how you download here's how you download files to watch movies I mean that's how Elliot watches movies on the show <laughs> 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 Right, he like pirate bays them and watches them from, not from networks. He watches them on the sly. I haven't seen that. Yeah, we have. Well, we were about to somewhere, somewhere along the way. They watch movies by downloading them. Oh, okay. Anyway, but um, 
So this this episode, episode four, starts in flashback, Jamie. It took me a minute to figure this out. It's a flashback, right? Uh-huh. Dar- Darlene's visiting Elliot with her mask, and she's un- she's an un- unwelcome visitor. Right. Uh, says to Elliot, hang out with me tonight. I need this. This is before all the events of anything in, in the show. Um, and they watch a movie. This is the movie. They, they watch this movie, The Careful Massacre of the Bourgeois. Right. Bourgeoisie. Bourgeois. The bourgeoisie, yeah. Um, that proves the, it's a movie that proves there is no classless society. Um, and this is where we find the mask. This is where they got the idea for this mask, the Monopoly Man mask. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What did you think of this movie? Is did you look it up or did you check it out at all? This this uh, massacre of the bourgeoisie. Um, no, I actually didn't. I didn't. Did you, Mike? Uh, well, I think some of it I looked up a little bit. Again, this is a couple weeks ago since we saw this, but we find out that's the source of the mask. It's it's the um, in the movie a brother and a sister fight the system fight back against the system. So there's a parallel there with Darlene and Elliot. Mm-hmm. And there is actually a, a nine-minute-long film. This is a fake movie, The Massacre of the Bourgeoisie. But there is a real nine-minute film on the Mr. Robot website made by Evil Corp <laughs> of this little movie that you can watch. Oh, wow. So I, I didn't watch it, but you can watch it if you want to. Pretty interesting that they made this all up. Um, and Darlene comments, long live the oligarchy. Uh, they, I guess, had watched this movie growing up. Right. They, they watched it growing up, and then Darlene sort of um, offhandedly comments and says, this is probably, this movie is probably singularly responsible for our, you know, being, you know, crapped up in the way that we are, or something like that. Like, she says something um, in an offhand way that says, Okay, well, this is why you've got this crazy, you know, um, very specific scheme to, um, you know, uh, take revenge for what's happened, you know, the, the bad things that have happened in your life. It's funny, when they watch it here, they do torrent it. They show Elliot, like, opening up the file to watch it on the computer. Okay. Um, and the mask guy in it, the mask guy who wears the Monopoly guy mask is massacring. He's the one doing the massacre. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and she orders food online. Everything they do is online. They're all, they are kids of the computer age for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Elliot comments that he got fired and he's seeing a shrink. Uh, so this is our introduction to the Krista connection. Uh, and, and essentially he got fired for doing his job too well. Remember in the very first season, Jamie, he was the only one really doing his job well. Everyone else was kind of a fuck up. Um, who, Elliot? Yeah, he was doing his job the right way. Well, okay, so I don't know. I mean, Elliot is just good at what he does because he's, you know, brilliant. But he wasn't trying to follow the rules very well because he was, you know, he had the uniform issue with the hoodie. And Gideon's like, you know, what did I tell you about wearing that to work? And he had to take it off so he'd have on his shirt and tie and so I don't know. Yeah, but that's superficial. I mean, he was smart enough to find that problem. That's why they got mad at him. He found a problem in the servers, and so they, they had to work late because he found the problem. So they locked him down in the server room. So he, he did his job so well that he, they got mad at him because they had to then find the problem. 
And then he lost he lost his memory, but he somehow destroyed the servers. He doesn't remember doing it, but they locked him in the room. Mm -hmm. And so in this flashback, he says, Angela's trying to find me a job at Allsafe. And Darlene says, Mom always shits on Dad. I wish we, rem we remembered him better. So yeah. she's fondly remembering her dad or trying to, and the mom's putting Dad in a bad light. Yep. Elliot shows her an old Mr. Robot jacket that I guess he got from Mr. Robot, his father, and she adds the mask and asks him to put on the mask. Pretty interesting, creepy little scene here. Some ominous music kind of underplays it, and it's really dark in the room. Yeah, it's, um, it was a weird scene. I, I don't remember it looking dark in there, but I, I remember it feeling kind of like, you know, family, like a family situation. And then, you know, I know that Elliot was very resistant to putting on the jacket. Like, he didn't want to wear that jacket. And then Darlene made him put on the jacket while he was wearing the mask. And he asked her why. And she said, because I told you to or because I want you to, you know. It was just kind of pointless. But then it was a really formative moment. It was an important moment. Elliot does keep the jacket, though, or, or he had kept the jacket. So he has some... I think Mr. Robot is a somewhat of a protector of Elliot. Oh, for uh, sure. Right at the end of the f episode we just did last week, he comes in when Ray's starting to play chess with him. He comes in to kind of oversee it. And he's, he's a good protector over Elliot, looks over Elliot, watches over him. Yeah. Um, so he's, he doesn't well, like putting the jacket on, but he does keep the jacket, interestingly. Um, so Elliot says, maybe I should take this job. I could be a Trojan horse and take them down, meaning Evil Corp. Darlene even says, who? He says, Evil Corp. It wouldn't be that hard. The hard part would be the follow-up, destroying the public confidence. Mm. It's interesting that Darlene embraces that role later in, this, in time, right? Destroying the public confidence. Yeah. Uh, and she says, you're freaking me out. Is this something you've actually thought about? And Elliot holds the mask with the screen kind of backlighting it against the computer monitor. And the terror, terror music gets really loud. Pretty cool scene. I like this little flashback. It was because it was kind of like a horror story. And it was Halloween, right? Like that was Halloween for them. Yeah. Yeah, it was really creepy. It was like 50-ish creepy. Yeah, it was really cool. So the next morning, the 50-ish drama music continues almost in like a happy, wondrous way. Oh, waterfalls of music. Darlene's walking down the street, gets on the train, and people on the train have all kinds of weird things like gas masks and VR goggles and uh, very uh, odd-looking characters on this train. What do you think Ishmael was up to with that? Well, I don't know, because, you know, it just seems like the whole episode was kind of spooky. Almost like, you know, maybe it should have been you know, like airing a few months from now in October. I don't know. It was kind of a spooky episode. Yeah. I don't know what the, if there's a bigger meaning beyond it. So Elliot talks more with, uh, I guess he's talking with Darlene here, right? He's, they're talking about a vulnerability uh, that Darlene has trouble asking for help. Maybe he's talking to us. Can't remember. But um, exposing vulnerability leaves you, leaves you open for an exploit. Um, and he kind of warns her, I know what you've been doing. I've seen the news and you have to stop. It's dangerous. 
So Elliot, it seems like Elliot's in control now instead of her being in control. Um, let's see. So we're back in present time now where she reminds him that this is the hard part now, the after, where he brought that up in the flashback. He brought that up that that would be the hard part. Right. And then Elliot says to, to Darlene, it wasn't me, it was him, meaning Mr. Robot. And Darlene asks for him. Darlene wants to talk to him. And Elliot says, again, the way he thinks to us as the audience, she's not being honest. So he tells us he knows Darlene's not being honest with him. Pretty, pretty weird, pretty psychological scene here, this first two or three minutes of this episode. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. It was it's, hard to sort the flashback from the real part, but once you did, it was, it was weird to see that they kind of flipped, that he had embraced the idea that it's the tricky parts after to, to convince people that they needed to worry, that the hard part is now, the after, and then she takes that she takes that role now that it's in real time. Yeah, yeah. Here it is, that, the note. He says, um, let's see. Yeah, he says she's, uh, she's not telling me something. She wants my help, but she's not being honest about what. Uh, this is what she does. Um, yeah, this is her default. It's interesting that Elliot asks us to help him figure it out. She's not being honest with me, but we can't, we don't know either. We don't know that much or enough about Darlene to know why she's not being honest. Well, I mean, okay. So, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think part of it is that she doesn't want to hear no, (laughs) you know, she wants to do what she wants to do. She, she really wants to accomplish this, uh, this thing, you know, more than Elliot does right now because Elliot is kind of unplugged and, you know, um, escaped. So if you remember from last episode, Dominic had kind of walked up on the outer part of the building for F Society. This scene shows the FBI invading, or not invading, but breaking in and getting inside the building, inside F Society. Right. Um, And they find the list of names of agents, but they're not sure why there are lists of names of agents. Uh, They find out they've been stealing electricity. And it says uh, a common thread among the um, the uh, the names that were on the pages is that all of those agents interviewed Gideon. Hmm. Yeah, that all the names that were on those pages, the FBI agents had all interviewed Gideon. And that was Romero's doing, right? Romero pulled that list up. Right. Uh, then they have a pretty awesome ski ball tournament. That was pretty fun. No, just kidding. Uh, they find out about the party, how the party was held on social media. That's why that uh, DJ Mobley poster was up. They just invited everyone, which was pretty smart because they essentially hid in plain sight. And then all these people coming in kind of muddies the waters of the evidence. Mm-hmm. I think that was the point of having a big party. Um, and then they're going to look on Instagram uh, and it's interesting that uh, the FBI is going to s- check out Instagram to find out who DJ Mobley is. And Darlene had posted the bourgeoisie movie on Instagram. She, she made a comment about that while they were watching that movie. Yes, she did. She said everybody should see this. Everybody should see this movie. And um, they, they looked up, they checked into the name DJ Mobley, and they said he appears to be a DJ in Vegas. 
And then they said he's just like an average middle of the road type dude, nobody notable. Yeah, so that so that's a front then, right? Because Mobley is not a DJ in Vegas. He really was there for this. Right. So he just found a DJ in Vegas and he's using that as his cover? Maybe. All right. Well, that's the kind of the plan that they had was they were hackers hiding in plain sight. And we also learned that Dominic, Dominique is pretty much the one in charge of this investigation. Um, and Mobley, they think, was a DJ in Vegas that night. I don't think that was really true, though. I think Mobley was in Staten Island, Coney Island. Yeah, no, he was there. He was there. I don't know what the what the Vegas thing, um, you know, I don't know how that figures in. Yeah. All right, next we get a little bit more complicated, Jamie, if it's not complicated enough. Joanna's meeting with some Latin dude named Kareem. We haven't seen Kareem before, have we? Um, I, no, I don't He's think so. He's not the guy it's, that was having sex with her, was he? No, that's not the same guy. But, uh, by the way, but he's not going to be Latin if he's Kareem. If he's Kareem, he's probably Middle Eastern. Okay. Well, he looks kind of Latin. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. He, uh, his name is Kareem, so whatever, whoever, whatever he is. He's worried that they're after him. Um, and Joanna says, my husband will return soon and this will all be over. Right. And so that's a weird thing. I don't know what his role is because he's like worried and scared. And but I don't know what his situation is. Like, I don't know what he needs to be worried about. He's working for Joanna. We're going to find out Joanna has some money problems, too. That's but right. Kareem's worried that he can't hold out on the $50 per day. Uh and the driver, there was another guy that's not Kareem, who's the driver, says we're running low on funds. We can't afford to keep this guy quiet, meaning Kareem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Joanna seems to have a weak stomach for killing him off. She doesn't want to do that. Doesn't seem like at this point anyway. That's right. Uh, all right. So we see more Angela doing affirmations. Uh, she says, I dissolve all false messages. <laughs> Oh, uh, she sees those two guys getting arrested, those two guys at the dinner with uh, Price. Uh-huh. Uh, they're led away in handcuffs from Evil Corp. Their names are Jim Chutney and Saul Weinberg. So whatever evidence that she was given by Price, she used, I guess, to get these guys caught. Right. She used that the disc. Yeah. yeah. Or somebody mm-hmm. did. I guess she did. She did. And then Ray is playing chess with Elliot. Uh, and Ray asks him, do you know the definition of insanity? Mm-hmm. Um, he, sa- he tells Elliot to practice more, play yourself. You might beat yourself. There's something on your mind. I guess it, Ray oh. destroys him one, t- one game, and Elliot just wants to keep playing. And Ray says, no, you, you play yourself and learn this game on your own. When he asks Elliot what the definition of, do you know the definition of insanity, you hear the voiceover Elliot saying he clearly doesn't know who he's talking to. <laughs> right. He's an expert in insanity. <laughs> Which I loved. I thought it was so funny. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, he says, um, who knows, you might beat yourself. And that's where Elliot gets the idea. Yeah, but Ray can't hear those thoughts. We hear them. And Elliot, of course, hears them. Elliot thinking them. Right. Um, Ray talks some more about a cleansing that he went through to clear his own dark thoughts in the past. And I don't know who God knows what that is, this cleansing he went through. 
Um, he said, uh, I'd done some dark shit myself, and it took a real cleansing to get me through it. And uh, then he says, I can help you if you want. Elliot considers using that uh, help and says, or he thinks about it, considers telling Ray everything, even more than he tells Krista. But Mr. Robot vetoes this, Jamie. He warns him of repercussions from the Dark Army. So, so that's Elliot warning himself not to tell Ray too much because of repercussions from the Dark Army. It's really, I don't know, there's some kind of weird thing going on because it seems like Ray wants, Ray seems to want Elliot's information, you know, because he's offering to listen to Elliot's confession. And he says, you know, you, basically what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, what you say to me stays here, he says. So do you think there are three prongs here? It's like the Dark Army, there's Elliot, and then there's Ray and whatever group Ray's connected to. Or do you think Ray's part of the Dark Army? I, I think it – I'm not really sure. I don't know. Um, you know, if it hadn't been for that this guy got the heck beat out of him, I would say that Ray may be undercover FBI. Um, but I don't know. Mr. Robot warning Elliot about telling Ray stuff because of repercussions from the Dark Army tells me that Ray is separate from the Dark Army. Oh. I, I, I mean, it makes me think that. It's not like Ray's going to go right to the Dark Army and tell them everything that you tell them. I think it's like you'll get in trouble for talking about what's going on with the Dark Army because Ray's a separate entity. Oh, okay. I got you. I yeah, so maybe, maybe Ray is FBI. Yeah, or f maybe that's four things. There's FBI, Dark Army, Elliot, and F Society, and Ray, whatever Ray is. That's I don't think Ray's FBI. Well, then maybe he's, I don't know how he's connected to anybody, though, because it seems to me as though he's connected to someone who's got some authority. Yeah, I believe that, too. I think you're right about that. But I don't think it's Dark Army, and I don't think it's FBI. Hmm. He's clearly not on Elliot's side, so... Unless he's in his head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So the, we see a, a news report of those guys being led away. And uh, Angela relates this to that lawyer, that lawyer that I like that drinks <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So I remember this scene. And I think what it is is that Angela knows that somebody is protecting her. And so wherever she, um, wherever her name is in there, that it's being kept away from, like, that's why they can't find it, because her name is in it. Right, but they're protecting Angela to really to protect themselves, not really to protect Angela. Like, okay. it might be Price doing something to keep Angela from talking to the FBI, or... Angela's, Angela's got to watch out for herself. I don't really think anyone is protecting her. Yeah, probably not, based on, like, later. Yeah, I agree. God, this thing's complicated, man. It is. <laughs> All right, back to the chess game. Mr. Robot and Elliot want to play a chess game. Let's settle this once and for all, a chess game to end the games between us. The winner takes all, Jamie. And mm -hmm. then they try to play a couple times, and Elliot realizes, I can't beat you, and you can't beat me. Yeah. Um, Elliot then remembers waking up in Tyrell's car three days after the hack. Uh, and Mr. Robot says, you will win the void. 
It will win the void. I want peace as much as you do. Mm-hmm. So pretty complicated stuff here because did Elliot do something to Tyrell? Did he shoot him with that popcorn gun? Yeah, we don't know. <sighs> All right, mystery layered on mystery. Yep. All right, but I do like this lawyer. I'm glad he's back with her. I mean, I mean, I like Angela being back with her. And I like Krista. Elliot's back with Krista, too. Yeah. I like, Elliot says, I'm thinking about his offer. Uh, and then he thinks to us, don't worry, you're safe. Uh, he's telling us Krista's safe? Mm, okay, he's talking to us. He's talking to the audience. Because she's asking... Is he the only person you interact with? Remember? Right. And she wants to talk to him. Yeah. And so, see, this thing about, like, us, about the audience being in Elliot's imagination is that if he tells Krista about us, then, you know, the risk is open for us to disappear because, you know, the whole idea of uh, personalities is to either integrate them or, you know, they, they go away, they go under, you know, they get, you know, into the void, like uh, Mr. Robot was saying. So, you know, it's if she knows about the audience, then we are at risk. Yeah, he's never really fully open with anybody. Krista, Mr. Robot. Even us. Do you think he's open with us and honest with everything with us when he thinks to us? Um, probably. Probably because, you know, we're in his head, but who knows? So when he says, I'm thinking about his offer, he's telling that to Krista. And then he thinks, don't worry, you're safe. He means us, the audience. You're, don't worry, audience, you're safe. Right. Well, he's what he means is my imaginary friend that I talk to. He we are not the audience to Elliot. We are his imaginary friend, you know, his singular imaginary friend. Yeah. So then Krista says, could I talk to him? Elliot says, no, it would legitimize him. What do you Mm -hmm. want from me? You know, everything. I don't know how to control or stop it. Let's move on to where you actually help me. Mm. Uh, Jamie, have you ever talked to like a therapist or psychologist? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I have too, and I've I've thought that thought. Like, let's get to the part where you start helping me instead of just asking me stupid questions. Oh gosh! But of course, that's what they do is they get you to talk about things that bring to the surface the real problem. Yeah, that's yeah, it's interesting. I guess because I have that background, you know, in uh, in psychology and social science, never occurred to me to you know because I enjoy the the therapeutic process. So, you know, for me, all of it's interesting. Like, I'm never in a hurry, you know, for them to, like, get to some point. To me, the, you know, the point is the process. So Krista doesn't like this line of thought from Elliot because she's thinking he's going to destroy part of himself. She says, this game is dangerous. You're agreeing to destroy part of yourself. And yeah. Elliot thinks, again, to us, I think, the audience or whatever part of him the, in his mind that is. She's wrong. We destroy part of ourselves every day as a part of the answer. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's interesting because that is a commentary on um, mental health and, you know, the state of, um, you know, psychology as a science. Um, I think it's fascinating because, um, you know, really, you know, if you think about the, you know, the idea of um, having multiple identities um, or disassociated identities, 
um, the idea is that you're trying to integrate them. And that's why there's the, the name, like the, the name now is DID, Disassociative Identity Disorder, as opposed to Multiple Personality Disorder, which is what it used to be called. Um, and so it, what the science says is that, you know, a person is um, born with, you know, a whole psyche and a whole personality toward the world. And, you know, through trauma, really great, great trauma, um, you know, that personality can fracture or the identity of the person can fracture. And so, you know, for a therapist who is, you know, living in, you know, this age, um, you know, the goal would be to integrate all of the, the parts of the person's identity um, so that they can be a whole person again. And if you are talking about destroying um, a part of that, then you really are destroying a part of yourself. Um, and that could be really harmful. Yeah, so all that, parts of your mind are as important as the other parts. Right. And that, that's where Krista's coming from. So next, Price is on the phone with White Rose, and White Rose is played by B.D. Wong. Jamie, do you know anything about B.D. Wong? Well, um, so we talked about B.D. Wong last season, and he is a really sort of highly um, uh, praised and awarded actor. Um, He's done some... um, sort of singular roles, like sort of career-defining roles. He was in uh, Madam Butterfly and um, a couple of other um, Broadway productions, um, and he's won a bunch of awards. He's like a really big deal um, in the acting world. So we're going to learn a lot more about Wide Rose in the next half of this episode and the next episode, but um, White Rose says, Closing the plant is not an option. Uh, Price asked him, what are you doing to help? So Price and and White Rose are in cahoots for whatever this caper develops into. They've been planning and working on this together. Um, White Rose says, you assured me the UN vote would be in full swing. And Price says, this will take time. So do you think these guys are equally criminal together, Jamie, or is one more powerful than the other? What are are Beatty Wong and Price to each other, or White Rose and Price? I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know that we can know right now. I, I think that probably um, they're equally powerful. They seem pretty equal. Like yeah. when Price is down in Washington, he's he sits like slouches his way through that meeting with those three high level cabinet members of Congress to get what he wants from them. And then we're going to find out that White Rose is a pretty high-level security guy in the Chinese government. Right. They're pretty equal. White Rose turns to his associate, I guess, after, the phone, after he's off the phone and, and says he's opting for his e-coin strategy. We need to look at our stage two schedule. So almost like this isn't working the way I wanted it to work with Price. We, learned, we need to look at plan B. But this point, the point I have here is with White Rose and his partner or whatever this guy is to him in China. Um, we need to look at stage two schedule. And this associate says it's, that takes six months minimum. And White Rose says that will take patience, and I detest that. Um, and then the associate shows him the FBI schedule. And White Rose asks him which earrings he prefers. And so it's, it's White Rose's lover of some kind, this guy, this associate. I, I, 
I don't think so. I don't think that. I think that's like um, his like helper or something. Like yeah, but his, don't th- he asks him what earrings he prefers, and don't they like embrace or kiss or something at this point? Well, right, Rose hugs that dude who I'm thinking is like his assistant or his butler or something. Um, but it's not returned. It's not like an affectionate thing. And he's just kind of like, um, you know, Oh, I don't know what I would do without you kind of thing. It was weird. It was like Batman and Alfred. What, what, what the hell is his associate? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a I mean, too intimate to me. But he's serving him like, you know, he's kind of he's kind of like, you know, bringing him things like, you know, fetching things. All right. It's it's, my impression of it is that this is someone who works for White Rose. I don't know if there's more to it, if the relationship is kind of muddied by whatever White Rose's needs are. But I definitely have the impression that this is an employee. Hmm. Interesting. Our next one is Joanna and Scott uh, at, I think it's his home, not her home, his home. And she asked, she went to him to ask about Tyrell's severance package and he tries to dismiss it off to HR. And she says they can't dismiss it yet that it's, you know, I guess because Tyrell's missing, she can't get his severance or some, some reason the, uh, Scott's holding up the money going back to Joanna. Um, yes. And she's like desperate. So she goes and says, you know, um, I've spoken to HR a bunch of times and, you know, they said they can't release his severance. And, and then Scott turns it around and says, yeah, that they also can't find the murderer, you know, um, you know, who killed my wife. And then he's like, yeah, so what, you know, red tape. And <laughs> so she says, you know, I know you want Tyrell. Um, I can understand that, but I would like the money. And, you know, why don't we quid pro quo? And, um, you know, and then he's like, no, you know, let that baby have what it deserves. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, he's sarcastic back to her. She's trying to say, hey, look, man, help me out. I know it's your company and I need Tyrell's severance package because I'm out of money. And he says, huh, you're out of money? I can't seem to find the person who murdered my wife. Bureaucracy's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, you help me get the money, and I'll testify that Tyrell didn't come home the night of her murder. Essentially establishing him as the murderer, right? Or implicating him. And uh, uh, Tyrell says, your baby gets what it deserves, nothing. So he doesn't want to have anything to do with helping her. Yeah, that's right. Why wouldn't he want to catch Tyrell, though, the murderer of his wife? Um, I think that, okay, so if you're Scott and, um, <clears throat> you know, you're really destroyed by the fact that your wife is gone and you don't have anything to really gain by, um, by getting Tyrell because, you know, I think probably he figures that either Tyrell is going to stay in hiding in order to avoid justice or he will be brought to justice at some point in time. But if he cooperates with Joanna in order to get this, um, like either early revenge or early justice, then he loses something. Um, 
you know, in the bargain. And so probably he doesn't want to lose um, anything. He would rather be patient. So do you think Tyrell's alive somewhere? I would guess so. And do you think, do you think Joanna still cares for Tyrell? I don't know. Because the scene, um, you know, after this doesn't seem that way. So I don't know. All right, Jamie, we're both saying I don't know a lot. I mean, how can you, I mean, I, so what do you think? I think everyone in the audience is saying, wow, I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> a lot. So at the train station, we see Darlene now exits the train, followed by some guy, I think an FBI guy probably. Um, pretty cool music, Rainy Night in Georgia by Brooke Benton, underscores her walking away. Um, uh, the car almost hits a biker. And she walks through the night seeing all manners of people in masks and some guy demanding her phone and um, sends her two blocks up to go look in a looking glass. Really weird scene here with Darlene. Mm-hmm. Um, and she meets some guy, the original boyfriend, her Cisco. Is that Cisco, her original boyfriend? Yeah. And he tells her that the arcade is compromised now, that the FBI's there. Right. Um, and this is also a very dark scene in this restaurant. They're sitting in a restaurant. Uh, and Darlene asks, is this Dark Army? And this guy, I don't know how Cisco knows all this stuff, but he says, no, there's nothing in it for them. I wanted to make sure you're okay. And Darlene says, just be a man and let me be upset, okay? <laughs> uh, and then they have sex again. So what the hell's going on with Darlene and Cisco? Why is she, why are they, what's going on with them? Do you know? Well, I mean, okay, so she's upset. And... Um, you know, emotional, and that's her ex, and they have, you know, I guess some sort of residual feelings, and so, you know, they do that. How do you like Darlene's line, Let just be a man and let me be upset? Oh, I thought it was great. It's a pretty deep line if you think about it. These guys <laughs> want to solve it and make it better, and she mm -hmm. says, be a man, live with being uncomfortable, and just let me be the way I am without fixing me. That's right. Without fixing the problem. Yeah. Because women can, you know, um, have such an effect on men with tears and with being upset. And, um, you know, and if you really are upset and you're not trying to manipulate someone, then, you know, sometimes you just need to live in that feeling. It's important to actually feel it and process it. Um, so I thought it was great. Great writing and uh, great acting. Uh, Cisco says there's more. Romero was being researched when he got killed. Uh, the FBI is making Dark Army nervous. They have something, and the FBI must know about it. And then they talk about this Operation Bernstein, or Bernstein, with heavy surveillance. Did you figure out that part, Operation Bernstein? Berenstein. Berenstein bears and Berenstein. <laughs> yeah, no, I, di I didn't. Um, well, okay. So at the time when I was watching the episode, I remember it, but we're so far ahead because I remember seeing that Berenstain, it, it was on the screen too. Um, Berenstain, uh, print out of a roster of FBI agents on something called Operation Berenstain. 
Yeah, we got to apologize for not being so caught up because it, it is really hard to remember these when they're two and a half and three episodes ago. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll be caught up after this uh, this week five. So. Yeah, sorry, audience. But there is a whole theory of Berenstein, and when we get into the next episode, there's a bunch of theories that people have about different stuff. But Darlene says, I've got to leave the city, and and Cisco says, if you leave, it'll tip off things and Dark Army. Just let me help you. Just don't panic and run. So she can't pull a Mobley. She's got to stick around. Mm-hmm. All right. So then at the restaurant, we see Leon and Elliot. Leon talks about the Good Samaritan law. You're supposed to help people. If you see people in trouble, you're supposed to help them. He's talking about um, Seinfeld. He's talking about, an like, uh, in the series finale of Seinfeld. So he, this is basically like he's getting, he's he's, you know, like the whole season so far he's been watching, he had just discovered Seinfeld. And and he's talking about Jerry and crew. <laughs> like all of them were standing around like assholes on the street, like laughing at this dude who got mugged and had a heart attack and died. And um, so that's, you know, how they ended up going to jail. Um, you know, they finally got kind of, you know, called on their crap of not caring about anybody. And uh, that's what he was retelling was that. And then they, they talk about chess. Were they talking about chess on that Seinfeld episode or just Leon and Elliot talking about chess? Yeah, it's just Leon and Elliot. So Leon says, in the old days when there was no Tony Robbins, it would make you feel good. What do you play for? So Leon apparently likes chess and knows about chess. And he asks Elliot this question, and Elliot says, existence. He says, um, it's really cool, actually. He says, um, he says uh, you're staring at that thing you want to play. And then Elliot says, no, it's not for you. So then he says, who's it for then? And he says, nobody. Because, I mean, basically, like, you know, how are you going to answer that question? So then he says something really awesome that I didn't know. Um, uh, Lionel says, um, you know, back in the age of enlightenment, um, motherfuckers used to use chess as a means of self-improvement because there wasn't no Tony Robbins DVDs back then. (laughs) He's like, this was it. Yeah, so, and there there is no Leon. Leon is an, a is a figment of Elliot, right? Leon, I just called him Lionel. Um, no, I I don't think he's a. Why would you say that? Because I think he is. I think he's a part of his. I think he's a Mister Robot. He's another chamber in his brain. Seriously? Yeah. Oh man. But I love the conversation anyway. It was great because they do get to that point. Um, that you're talking about. He says, you know, um, so what are you playing for then? And, you know, and he says, you know, um, if there's no who, then what's the what? What's it for? And Elliot says existence. You know, and then he's like, dope. (laughs) It's a really great conversation. And and then Leon says, do you want to do you want to be here in the cosmic sense right now? Existence can be beautiful or ugly. It's up to you. And Elliot asks him, how do I know which is for me? And Leon says, dream, close your eyes, and figure out what future to fight for. Envision that shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I like this Leon, whatever he is. You know, he's real or figment. He's a very uh, interesting guy. He's got great, great lines. I mean, this actor, this guy, that's, I think his name's Joey Badass. Um, his, um, he's got to be, I mean, look, this guy's not an actor, 
you know, he's a rapper. And um, yeah, got, he's got a great video. Uh, by the way, like if you go and search him on YouTube, you can see what he does. And his stuff, the stuff that he does is really um, makes you um, realize why Sam Esmail was actually interested in this guy. But he, um, you know, as as a rapper, somebody who appreciates, um, you know, poetic language, uh, he's got to really enjoy uh, the lines that he's given because they're just they're fantastic. Uh, it'd be a fun role to play for sure. I think so. All right. So the next scene, Jamie, Joanna's talking to some boyfriendish guy that she has named Derek. And he's a DJ? What now why is he a DJ? Why can't why do they have to have Mobley be a DJ and then this guy's a DJ? Why can't he just be something else to help us keep this straight? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be something going on with that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's interesting, but I don't know. Do you think it's maybe like part of uh like her mind is segmented too? No, no, I was going to say maybe part of like New York culture or something. But, um, but yeah, it was really weird. And, and the guy's like, yeah, well, I mean, his, you know, I just, I love this. And the reason why I love this is because this dialogue is really character specific. Like, you know, the way that um, Sam Esmail and the other writers, I guess, who, who write for this show, the way that they, they, um, address the dialogue is really um, by concentrating on the personality and the circumstances of the characters, um, which is, you know, it's basic. That sounds like a basic approach, but it doesn't happen. Like, that doesn't happen in television writing, uh, generally speaking. And, um, and I love this, because this dude is like a tertiary character, if anything, um, and he's not particularly bright or gifted. And his dialogue really reflects, you know, the, the mundanity of his, um, of his life. Of well, his well, just like Darlene and Cisco, Joanna and this guy Derek, I think his name's Derek, have a conversation reflective of their romance. And Derek's trying to impress her and be the man, be, do the right thing as a man. Like he's dreaming about going to Madrid as a DJ of some kind. And Joanna says, do you know why I'm dating you, a freaking bartender? You're never going to take me anywhere or give me what I want. I have everything I need, and they never made me happy anyway. I'm just dating you because of you. And he's trying to be like, oh, I'm going to be the super stud provider and take you on these fantastic trips to Madrid. And that's not even what she wants. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. That's not the way I took that scene in. And I, I'd like to go through it just a little bit because – I loved this scene for the reasons that I, uh, that I'd like to talk about. Like part of it was like based on what I was just saying about like this guy's dialogue. Like he's kind of, you know, his lines are kind of flat. He says, um, you know, they're talking about Madrid and, um, you know, Joanna says, do you think you, do you really think you'll ever be able to afford that? Like going to Madrid? And he says, well, you know, maybe not now, but like, hey, once I get my DJ career going, like a lot of times they give you free trips, like for the jobs. And I, you know, I could take you and, you know, and then she interrupts him because he's just talking. Right. And it's really interesting because you're seeing him in profile there in that scene. And so he's quiet. 
and you know if you think think in terms of like a person like a regular person who's just there having a conversation with this woman that is clearly out of his league right he already knows that and he is trying to give her something um that he thinks she wants and she says you know do you know why i'm with you why i'm dating you you're a bartender you make $15 an hour. You're never going to be able to take me to Madrid. And and this is probably crushing him. Because if you think about like how you would feel in a situation like that, you're probably thinking you're about to get dumped. You know? Because, you know, she sees, she sees behind, you know, the guise of the, you know, big right. talk. Yeah, you know, she sees big, right through it. Right? So, and then she, and then, you know, she says you won't be able to give me anything I want out of life. And then she says, but I've had all those things and they never made me happy. That's why I love you. You're not any of that. And you, and I don't need you to be anything more than what you are. Right. So this is the second time Ismail's touched on this in the span of about 10 minutes of showtime. Cause it's the same thing with Darlene and Cisco. Just shut up and let me feel bad and let me have my feelings, you know, be a man, man up. And she and Joanna's doing the same thing with this guy, Derek, who thinks he's playing up to her and telling her what she, he thinks she might want to hear. Like, oh, I'll take you off and we'll have a romantic trip to Madrid. She's like, you're full of shit. You don't, you make 15 bucks an hour. Okay. Uh, you don't even understand why I'm with you. So, yeah. so he's portraying guys who don't get... They, they don't understand the women that they want to be with. They're trying to do things mistakenly. They're trying to do the wrong things to impress their women. Yeah, or to help them or to make them feel better or, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, like, I, mean, I, don't know, I like both these scenes. He's, but Ishmael is really hammering at home that there's, a, there's a, sometimes a pretty big communication gap between men and women in their romantic endeavors. Yeah, and I love that because, you know, it's, it's, it's a real reflection of life, you know, in a way, and it, which is crazy because this show is so alternate reality. It's really meta and, um, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, bizarre in so many ways. And, you know, and, but, it, but it really accurately reflects relationships between people. Well, and it gets it keeps going with Elliot next, thinking about what's his future is, like what's going to happen years from now. How will my fairy tale unfold? Will I find the ones I care for, like mm. Angela? Will I finally connect with the, with those I deeply care for? Which is um, a callback to um, season one, because you know Elliot is just searching for a way to connect. Yeah, he hits them all. Like, and let's try to fill in who these people are. So, will I find the ones I care for? Mm-hmm. Is that Angela? Well, so at this point, he is looking at um, the like he's having that imaginary vision, and there's the table, and all these people are coming to the table, and Angela's one of them. And then there's, you know, Darlene and um, uh, I want to say Mobley is yeah. there. So here's so he says that. Well, I find the ones I care for, probably Angela. I don't know if they sync up with the times that they approach the table. 
But he, he then says, will I reunite with old friends? Will I reunite with old friends? I don't know who that was. Will I see the ones I love find true happiness? And then it's kind of the, the guy and Darlene with the proposal, the uh -huh. boyfriend proposal to Darlene. Right. Will uh, people I'd never dream of getting close to, I don't know who that could be. Maybe the future includes people I'd never dream of getting close to. And make amends with those I've wronged. Mm-hmm. Mobley, maybe? I don't know. So I think it's Krista. Oh, yeah. Can't remember. But, but yeah, I mean, so he says, a future that's not so lonely. Yeah, and it's really cool. This is all at a table in the streets. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, he says um, a future filled with friends and family you'd even be there. And when he says you'd even be there, the camera looks down into that empty chair that's at the opposite end of the table, the long, long table. And I guess that's the seat for us. Yeah, that's the audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I, the people I saw, Ray, Angela, Darlene, uh, the climate control guy, um, with him at the head of the table, probably a few other people, I don't remember everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then the building collapses in the background, the Evil Corp headquarters building. Right, yeah. And then he says, the world I've always wanted. I could fight for that. And he wakes up in his bed. Yeah, he says, um, you know what? I would very much like to fight for it. In chess, help isn't allowed. That's the beauty of the game. Hmm. And then he says, you're locked into a set of moves as determined by your previous choices, which is just... Well, this is the next scene of the chess game with Mr. Robot. Oh, it's that like... Oh, so that, that, that scene ends on that's the beauty of the game, right? Or it's... Um, no, he wakes up in bed and says, you'd even be there to the, us in that chair, the audience, and then the building collapses, and he wakes up in his bed. I could fight for that, or he's laying in his bed. And he, he thinks or says, I could fight for that. Then there's a whole new scene in the park. Okay, with the tree-lined woods in the park. And it's a chess game with Mr. Robot. Uh -huh. And then he starts to say, help isn't allowed. You're locked into moves determined okay. by previous choices. Okay, 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 okay. Um, yeah, that's rough, man. I don't know. Do you play chess? I know how to play. I'm, you know, I'd probably get killed by somebody who was any good. Yeah, that's how I am. I'm like, no good. And I can't play with anybody. Like, Cam plays, and he's like a genius at chess, and I can't play with him. And so I'm just, like, stuck. <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like a remedial chess player. <laughs> but this, this whole scene with Mr. Robot is good, too, because he says, like you said, help isn't allowed. You're locked into moves determined by previous choices. Options change with each decision. There's no lifeline, no external forces. And then they play to a stalemate. Which is really yeah. hard to do in chess, a stalemate. Usually right. somebody wins. And the, the odds of having, you know, three in a row, which is what they end up with, um, are astronomical. It's like impossible to have that. So Elliot says, we need a winner. Remember how you taught me how to code by using a chess game? So that's an interesting little vision into Elliot's youth. He learned computer coding by chess, chess game. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't even picture that like I don't even understand that well you can play computer chess you can play against a computer 
Oh, that's what you mean. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. And Mr. Robot says, well, Elliot says, remember how you taught me? And Mr. Robot says, not really. And Elliot says, you're not my father. You're not even here right now. And they get to another stalemate, second stalemate. And Mr. Robot says, the moves I'm making are the ones you're telling me to make. And then Elliot turning to us or thinking to us, the odds of all the moves and how they exceed the... The, the odds of all the moves and how they exceed the electrons in the universe. So the odds of all the different moves in a chess game exceed all the electrons in the universe, which I don't know if that's po- even possible. But Well, he says that um, he says the number of 40-move games is greater than the number of electrons in the observable universe. So it's like, um, you know, anytime you have to have like multiples of an iteration. So a 40 move chess game can be different by the number of different moves that are possible in each game. Yeah, he's essentially saying there's billions of ways that you could run you could you could run a game for any game that has 40 moves there are billions of different choices for those moves. Yeah. So and then they have the third stalemate and Elliot says, the odds of that are impossible, or thinks that. The odds of this are impossible. I can't beat you, and you can't beat me, and you knew all along. Mm-hmm. Mr. Robot says, fighting me is a waste of your time. I'm here for a reason. Your fight is not with me. It's with them. I want to be here with you. So, again, more Mr. Robot showing that he's kind of, kind of got Elliot's back. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what that is, though. I don't know what it means. It's, you know, it's, um, I guess we're not supposed to know. We're supposed to, you know, wait, you know, for the, for the rest of the information. But it's interesting to me, you know, I think that um, it was comforting to hear him say, when will you finally realize that I'm here for a reason? I, I liked it. Um, it's yeah. Elliot understanding himself a little better. I think he's he's starting to understand what this Mr. Robot is in his head. Well, I don't know about that, but I think it's probably Elliot's um, psyche or Elliot's, you know, mind um, telling him, like, calm the hell down and just, you know, let this unfold a little bit. Yeah, I want to be here for you. I'm not a threat to you. I want to, be, I want to help you. Yeah. All right, so you're the Evil Core parking garage, and Angela confronts Price, and she says, I want Melissa's job and an office on the 20th floor, non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Price just says, mm-hmm, go on. <laughs> Angela says, I saw the pattern in the settlement of the Washington Township suit. One point, your team wouldn't agree on that a third party must perform inspection on plant. You wanted to keep all the power. Now I know why you wanted those guys dismissed, to help me and to make me like you to convince the class to remove the contingency. I will do it, but you'll give me everything I want in return. Yeah, that's, uh... Yeah, because she says, she says, she says, you continue to give up power on all these other provisions that appear to be a lot more expensive and important, all in an attempt to drop this one small point I know why you had those guys arrested and why you gave me this job. You want me to convince the class to remove the contingency. And I'm willing to do that because you're going to give me exactly what I want in return. Those are my terms. Right. 
So he's trying to pull a fast one on her by giving her more of other stuff than what she he he doesn't get that she's on to him. Well, I don't know about that because, you know, the rest of the conversation is, you know, he says, you know, you're impressive. I got to give it to you. You're impressive, but I'm sorry. This is all in your head. Now, don't take that as a slight. Always good to have dreams. And then she says, wait, I'm not wrong. And he says, go home. Yeah, I think he would have pulled it. I, I think he would have let her believe this if she didn't catch on to that. She wants this contingency to stay in place and not be removed. I don't know that it matters. I think she may be right because he tells her she's impressive um, or um, I, I don't know. She's she impressive because be- she caught on to what he really wants. Right. Yeah. Well, no, not to what he really wants, but what what's really going on. Like what, you know, the contingency and all that. Right. I, I, you know, but I don't know what this, I don't know why, you know, he says what he says. Because she thinks she's right, and I think she's right. Well, she and, is right. I, I think that's left on, it's, yeah, it's, in no uncertain terms, she's we're we're made to believe that she's figured out what he really wants and he, mm-hmm. he congratulates her for it right and then he but says go home but that doesn't mean this is the end of it. it just means he's got to try harder or do something you know they've got to you know he's dealing with a smarter adversary than i think he thought well no i mean because then he tells her he says you're impressive but you're wrong go home and he dismisses her. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's a weird thing. But, I, I mean, I'm sure we're going to see more. I'm sure we'll find out more. Yeah, I don't think she's wrong, though. I think she's on to him. I do, too. Maybe not exactly what he wants, but she's on the right track, right path. All right, so next scene, Darlene's on the phone with Elliot. She says, do you remember the first command you ever taught me when my computer kept crashing? And it's that in it one, initialize one. Is that what that means? In it one? Yes, I think so, yes. And she says, I'm crashing, man, and I need your help. We're all in trouble. We might be owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Mr. Robot wakes up, Elliot, wakes, sorry, walks up on Elliot, uh, and Elliot says, did you mean what you said, that you wanted him and not me? Uh, to Darlene. It's Mr. Robot walking up while they're talking. So Darlene says, I want you, only you. And Elliot says, don't worry, I know what to do. And then Ray walks in. I think he's um, he's either on the phone or like um, like instant messaging back and forth with Darlene. Right. And um, so. Let's see. So Darlene says, I want you, only you. And then um, Elliot's thinking, I think he says, don't worry, I know what to do. And then, um, why are we back here? You cannot do this. Uh, you cannot confess. That's the, the dialogue between um, Mr. Robot and Elliot, right? This won't save her. They're going to yeah, just... Yeah, he, he's on the phone. With, I'm sorry. This is my, my notes are jumbled. But he's on the phone with Darlene. And she says, do you remember the first command in it? One, I'm crashing and I need your help. We're all in trouble. And then Mr. Robot just walks up while Elliot's on the phone with Darlene. 
Mm-hmm. And Elliot says to Darlene on the phone, did you mean what you said that you wanted him and not me? Because remember, Darlene had, had said, I want him and not you. I want Mr. Robot and not you. Mm-hmm. And then she says, she corrects herself and says, I want you only. I want you, only you. And mm-hmm. Elliot tells her, still on the phone with her, don't worry, I know what to do. And then Ray walks in. So Mr. Robot walks in and then Ray walks in um, <laughs> and says, who won? And Elliot says, no one. And then so Ray and Elliot continue to have a talk then. Right. Um, what else can I do for Ray says, what else can I do for you? And Mr. Robot standing there says, you listen to him and it's suicide. And Elliot says to Ray, I'm here to help you with the computer problem you've been having. So he's going to help him migrate that website and do the thing that he was torturing the other guy to do. Right. Okay. And then Ray says, I would ask what made you change your mind, but, it, but I'll quit while I'm ahead. Mm-hmm. And then he asks somebody else to come into the room. And Ray says, did you know Moses heard voices? I think Moses. Did you know, did you know Moses heard voices too? He heard Abraham, John, Paul, Jesus, just like many prophets do. People like you have divinity if you let it. So Ray knows that he's hearing Mr. Robot. Yes, that's the one. Remember, I was trying to remember when it was that that um, that Ray said something like that to Elliot. This is the moment. This is the moment. So this yeah. is the other religious moment. Yeah. 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 So I don't know how he gets off the phone with Darlene at some point. At some point he, he is. So it's it's Elliot and Ray talking with Mr. Robot standing there and Ray saying to him or Mr. Robot saying to, to Elliot, if you listen to Ray, it's suicide. So there, there's conflict. There's conflict, really heavy conflict between Mr. Robot and Ray. Yeah, like, you know, make the right decision. What's the right thing to do? And one is risky and scary and the other one's, you know, and then who do you trust? That's why I think Ray might be part of his head. You might be right. You might uh, be right. I, I didn't think about it before. Honestly, I didn't think about it before. But then now, you know, but it's, just, it's so crazy. But, you know, I guess, you know, if you have a like a disassociated personality, you don't have to. Because I, I keep thinking, like, how could that be? Because this person had a wife and, you know, all this stuff. But it doesn't have to be that, you know, um, you know, all of it is just kind of dependent on your main personality's um, reality or your main identity's reality. It can be, you know, that all these other, you know, characters have different lives that, you know, have extensions that don't touch anything. So, I, you know, I guess it could be reasonable that Ray is in his head and Ray has a, a dead wife. So freaking complicated, though. It is, yeah. <laughs> so Elliot sits at the computer and it needs a site migration and he either thinks or says it probably thinks this it's it's simple i got this uh and then ray ray does something really weird he says before you start you should know i prefer discretion i'm asking you to help me with this task and not look where you don't need to mm-hmm. and we're gonna see elliot snoops around a little bit deeper into ray's computer and find some shit but ray asks him and trusts him not to which is very odd you would think ray would stand there and look at him and not and make sure he doesn't do that. Yeah, but maybe it's, you know, maybe Ray doesn't really need, maybe he trusts him more than, you know, more than what we might think is reasonable because he knows that he can rectify. Or if, it's a honey trap, like don't look in door number three. <laughs> you're not going to, you're going to be in big trouble. And then, of course, you have to look, right? Right. Yeah. 
Uh, so Elliot says, was he here? And Ray says, if you need help, Lone Star will be here. Lone Star, is that right? Lone Star, uh, Lodestar. Let's see. Um, let's see. I think Lone Star is the other hacker guy. Uh, Lone Star, like Texas. Lone Star. So while, yeah, Lone Star beer. <laughs> so while Elliot's working, Mr. Robot reappears, and Mr. Robot says, "What's Darlene say?" And Elliot says, "The FBI found the arcade, and there might be a surveillance program." Berenstein, Bernstein. Is it Berenstein or Bernstein? Berenstein. Berenstein. Surveillance program by the FBI is Berenstein. Mm-hmm. And he tells him Romero's dead. And then Elliot tells us, the audience, was Ray right? Should I listen to the voice? Does it make me special like Moses? <laughs> My yeah. sister is in trouble and I need to help her. Maybe this is how I fight for that future I want. Yeah. And then there's a headline on the screen. FBI gives up BlackBerry for Android. Mm-hmm. And he hacks into the FBI computer. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we'll spoiler alert a little bit. In the next episode, he's going to do what Ray didn't want him to do. He's going to snoop around in his computer and find some stuff. But, uh, you, I mean, that's, that's hardly a surprise, right? Yeah, I would say not. All right, Jamie, we're getting there. So that's the end of episode four. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in it one? In yes. It one. Uh-huh. And um, that's it for season two, episode four. Next week is season two, episode five, Time Bomb. All right. So I'll tell Logic you that uh, a, bu- a bunch of the, the um, file extension names at the ends of uh, these episodes this season have to do with encryption. Um, I think no it's way. Really, well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, but I think it's really interesting because it wasn't like this last season, but there's a lot of focus in the titles, um, of these episodes on the idea of encryption. Yeah. We're going to get into encryption and tours and the dark web and all that stuff. So, so there you go. So that's it for episode four. Jamie, how do people reach you on the internet? I'm on Twitter and I'm at word girly. And you have that website up and running since our last podcast. I <laughs> All right. So um, I have a website called uh, Wish I Said That Shit. And I am working on getting it um, up and together for our audience. And uh, I've been a little bit slow about it because I've had too much going on. But um, I would predict that by next week um, it'll be ready. Like people can actually go look at it now. Um, if they want to, but it's not going to be interesting because there's not enough stuff up there, but it's open. I mean, like it's public. Um, so people can go look at it, but, um, by next week, I think it'll be good. So like, what is it again? Yeah. Wish I said that shit.com. So no, I, <laughs> right. So because- wish I said that shit.com. We'll put that in the show notes. And if you need to reach Jamie, it's at word girly W O W O R D. G-I-R-L-Y and if you want to reach me it's at Scathing Tweets and Jamie I'll see you next time on episode 5 Logic Bomb alright cool